Good morning, church. My name is uh, Brian. I uh, get the honor of being one of your pastors here and uh, opening the word with you this morning. You can, and grab a Bible, uh, open to Luke chapter 15. Uh, if you have a Bible, brought it with you, excellent. Grab it, get it open, Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, either download one on your phone real quick um, or uh, steal one from the, uh, the seat back around you. You can look at that here. And if you don't have one, take it with you. Uh, I give you permission to slide it under your shirt as you walk out, stick it in your purse. You can steal that Bible just today. Um, as I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter uh, 15. Uh, it's been a pretty, pretty uh, busy week for me this week, but uh, by God's grace, it's been really, really good. I was able to spend Thursday and Friday of this week with some uh, prospective uh, potential church planting partners. Uh, and so I uh, was up on the north side spending a couple days with church planters uh, from all over the country uh, wrestling through, hey, am I called to this? Am I ready for this? Is my marriage strong enough for this? Do I have the ability to preach and lead? Do I need to be developed more? And so it was really, really a great opportunity to hang out with those guys. And in one of those sort of assessments, uh, it came out that uh, this, uh, this guy has three boys and they're all about to hit middle school. You know, just in kind of in succession. And I happen to be a little, well, like maybe one stage ahead of that. Uh, three boys that are in middle school or high school. And see, he's like, hey, man, just, just be straight with me. What, what do I have to look for? What's coming up? So I really wanted him to plan a church. So I didn't want to tell him the truth. But <laughs> I was like, well, uh, here's what's going to happen. In, uh, you won't see it coming. But at some point in the future, your boys are just going to enter the fog. They're going to stay in the fog until they're about 25. <laughs> and what's going to happen is, the, uh, in their minds, the connection between cause and effect is going to be severed. <laughs> and there's going to be many times when you look at them and you think, wow, you're maturing, you're growing up, this is amazing. And then there are other times when you're going to look at them and be like, were you thinking at all? And the answer will be, no. So as if on cue, yesterday we were out uh, getting ready for school, going out to do some school shopping, and uh, you know we spent some time uh, here, and then we went down to the outlets and uh, spent a whole long day doing it, and you know uh, family tensions were somewhere between this is awesome, I can't believe I get to be here, and I wonder if that other family over there will adopt me. Um, so we finally get to the end of the day, and everybody's hungry. Everybody's been, oh man, we're tired, it's been a long day. And so we're having a conversation in the van as we're pulling out of a parking spot, like, hey, what do we want to do to eat? Half the kids wanted to eat at Cracker Barrel because, you know, there's nothing else around the uh, outlets on the south side. Um, and so we're like, well, you know, breakfast for dinner, that's always good. And then uh, somebody else was like, oh, I just really want to get home. You know, if we don't get home now, then it's going to feel like we have no time before we just have to get in bed. And so we're, we're having this conversation, we, and we, we come to a conclusion, all right, here's what we're going to do. And I kid you not, as if on cue, one of my boys, who will remain nameless, goes, hey, I think we should get some food. And there's this moment where it's like, welcome to the conversation. Where have you been? And the reality is, I mean, honestly, let's be honest, I do that too. Toddlers do that. Middle schoolers, full-grown adults, we all do that at times where we are so focused on whatever we have right in front of us that we miss out on all the other stuff that's happening. What we're going to see in Luke chapter 15 is that there's an entire group of people who were so focused 
on what they had right in front of them. Their own accomplishments, their own achievements, the way they wanted to live, that they were missing out on all that God was doing and revealing in the kingdom. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. This is Jesus Christ. The tax collectors and the sinners, the uh, outsiders, the horrible people, were being drawn to Jesus Christ. That is an incredible truth. The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Let's get that groaning saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. See, the complaint that the Pharisees and the scribes were like, hey, this guy is in too close proximity to those who are uh, retrobate. Their, their, their hearts are wicked. They're, they're, he's too close to them. And the grumblings of that are revealing the hearts of the Pharisees. But Jesus Christ's loving, gracious, kind response is to tell three stories that reveal the heart of God towards those who are far from him. It says he, he told them this parable, and, and, and actually he goes on and, and tells three parables in rapid succession that are all following the same pattern with the same focus. And uh, for us today, we're really going to camp out in, and in fact, I'm not even going to read the first two. We're going to camp out into the third parable, which is the parable of the prodigal son. That's where we're going to spend our time. But I would submit to you that we, we start with the grumblings of the Pharisees because there is this common thread that goes all the way through all three stories. And there's a common pattern in all of those. So I would encourage you this week, as you go home and study, open your Bible to those first two stories. You've probably been familiar with them. It's the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And then finally, we see the parable of the prodigal son. And in each one of these parables, do we see a pattern? The pattern is this. What was lost becomes found, and there is celebration. Lost, found, celebrate. That's what we see in all three of these parables. And as we camp out in this final parable, the parable of the prodigal son, starting in verse 11, we're going to walk through this parable by focusing on the major characters of the parable. We're going to look at the, the younger son and the journey of the younger son. We're going to look at the older son and the journey of the older son. And we're going to look at the heart of the father in the middle of it. These parables, this chapter, the chapter of the losts, represents God's heart towards those who are far from him. Those who have yet to find restored relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And there's great truth here for those who have never come to know Jesus Christ. But there's also great truth here for those of us who are seeking to follow Jesus Christ repeatedly day after day. So let's not miss what we are to emulate in the midst of it. And as we read, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is the heart of God towards those who wander? And do I have it? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful to once again open your word to proclaim the authority of your scripture to see a beautiful illustration of how you operate with those who are far from you and those who have come to know you. God, it's a beautiful picture and we're uh, worshiping you for having it. 
uh, and giving it to us. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that we would see ourselves in this, yes, but that we would see you in this. Help us to be moved by that, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and ultimately uh, in our souls. Guide us as we read today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to start off with the younger son. So number one, the journey of the younger son, rebellious to repentant. Rebellious to repentant. Verse 11, and he said, he being Jesus Christ, now he's picking up this third parable, and he says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The father divides his property between the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless giving, living. Younger says, hey, dad, I want it. Give it to me. He goes off and squanders it in reckless living. What we, that's, when I first read that, I'm like, man, he just was a bad manager of his money. What we'll see as it comes, that it wasn't just reckless and unwise. It was reckless and immoral, deeply immoral. But in verse 14, his circumstances change. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Circumstances change. Lifestyle can no longer be supported. He is in need. I think in order to fully understand the story, we have to kind of understand how this would have been read and understood to uh, someone who lived in the first century in the Middle East. You think about it, I don't think it's that hard to grasp. Imagine you have a child that, uh, you know, grows up in your home, graduates from college, comes to live near and is working really hard, and then one day comes to you and says, hey, dad, give me my inheritance. You're like, well, kind of still here. He says, I don't care, I want my inheritance, and I want it now. In fact, I'm going to go take it, and I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to live in a foreign land. In every essence, what he's saying is, I want the blessing of your demise, and I want it now. Now imagine what that would have done to the parents, to the father. It's not as if his entire collected value is sitting in a bank account that he can just write a check and cash half of it out there, right? Like he's still operating the household. This is going to require quite a bit of change of lifestyle to be able to give that younger son what he is asking for. The younger son who basically says, Father, I wish you were already dead, and now I'm going to live like you're already dead. The father does it, gives it to him. The son leaves, and it doesn't work out as well as he had hoped. Verse 15, so he went and hired, he's in need. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now again, to understand this, pigs are unclean. So it's bad enough for a Jewish guy that he's going to go and now serve by feeding the unclean animals. It's even worse than that. He's jealous 
of the unclean animals. There, this is so far below rock bottom that he can't even see the dirt. This is bedrock bottom. Nowhere else to go. He is coveting the food of the unclean animals. No place lower to go. Verse 17. But. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He looks back in his mind at his father's household. And regardless of the damage to the relationship, he says, at least my dad paid his servants well. I'm starving here. I will arise, verse 18, and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In this moment, the younger son, his heart has recognized his error. See, when it says, but he came to himself, the way we would say that is he came to his senses. He sees his great need. The heart recognizes the error. And what I want you to see in the younger brother is this. I am lost because I seek my own desires. You see the pattern there? He's safely with the father. But he wants it, and he wants it now, and he's going to take it now. And in doing so, the heart that seeks its own desires is the heart that wanders from the Father. And this is not the only place in Scripture that we see this. In fact, if the pattern of the whole passage in each of these parables is lost, found, celebrate, the pattern that we see in the younger son and in sin throughout the Scriptures is this, saw, wanted, took. We see the younger son. He saw what he might have. He wanted it, and he demanded it, took it. We see that same pattern in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve saw the fruit of the tree. They wanted what? To be like God. And they took it. They believed the lies, and there was great consequence. We see that same pattern in David and Bathsheba. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He should have been out as a king with the armies, but he wasn't. He saw Bathsheba. He wanted her, and he took her. And what happened? Great consequence. We see that in the parable of the younger son. He saw it. He wanted it. He took it. Great consequence. James talks about this pattern in James chapter 1, verse 14. He says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, saw and wanted. Verse 15, Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Took. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Great consequence. This is the heart that pulls us from the Father. The heart that grabs us and leads us away from the Father. And Jesus is illustrating the inevitable destination of that sin. 
There was a song, and some theologians have adopted the lyrics and uh, made the statement, but it, they said, sin will take you further than you want to go and cost you more than you want to pay, and we see that illustrated right here. Sin has no future except ruin, and it is incredibly painful to come to one's senses in the manner of the younger son. You see it in his heart. There are no pretenses. There are no excuses. There are no cover-ups. Nothing but a man who has reached the end of himself and come up wanting. That's the conviction that brings about repentance. Now I want you to ask, think about it for a second. Knowing that the son in this foreign land, has come to the conclusion it would be better as a servant in my father's house than where I am now. I realize that I have sinned against heaven and against my father. I'm going to go home and ask him to hire me. How do you think you would respond as the father? Maybe go a step further. How do you think your father would have responded to you? I don't say that to bring up pain or to call out someone else's sin, but I think sometimes when we see how our father might have responded, we assume that that's how God would respond. Would he have been harsh, cold, angry, absent, kind, loving, hurt. I confess when I wrestle through that question, I'm not sure I'd respond like the father in this story. Verse 20. And he arose, the younger son, and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, what we expect him to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, the father doesn't remain in the doorway, arms crossed. He doesn't see the son coming and then, you know, like load up all the things he's ever wanted to say. What does he do? The father sees him coming and he runs to him and felt compassion and embraced him and kissed him, ran to him, open arms, embracing him and welcoming home. And the son, in humility, says what we expected and acknowledges what we all know to be true. He does not deserve the title of son. And he just hopes that the father is willing to hire him. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to what? Celebrate. Celebrate. The son is expecting to no longer be a son, to remain 
dead as a son, but maybe I'll pick up some scraps and be able to feed myself. But the father says, no. He brings him completely back into relationship. And notice not just that. He goes out and finds the best robe. He puts a ring on his finger, the family crest. He puts shoes on his feet. The father sees with compassion the emaciated son, and he envelops him in the relationship, the family clothing. He restores, and not just that, he lifts him up with a party, a banquet. Now, you know, as we've been studying some of the parables and, uh, over the past few years, the imagery of the banquet comes up in Jesus' parables quite often. And the imagery of the banquet is the idea of the wedding feast of the Lamb, that, that this is our experience of heaven, that it's going to be like we're all there together sharing at the table of the Father, and we see that right here. Let's throw a party. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Lost, found, celebrate. This is the heart of God towards those who wander. You know, as I was wrestling through this and as I was trying to uh, understand the motivation of the younger son and put myself in his shoes and kind of understand all that, sometimes I, I write poetry or song lyrics, and that's really awkward and cringy to admit out loud. Um, but I wrote one of those, and so I'm going to share it with you, and, uh, you know, mock me if you will, but hopefully it's beneficial to you. The ballad of the younger son is this. I took what I wanted. I went where I wanted. I did what I wanted, and it was all lacking until I found that I was wanted in the arms of my father. That's the heart, the journey of repentance of the younger son. As Jesus is telling this, these sinners and tax collectors, the ones who are drawn to Jesus Christ, the sinners that the Pharisees hated and despised so much, it's these sinners that find themselves in the character of the younger brother, the younger son. The, the younger son who wished his father's dead, who recognized his need, who repented of his error, and who was embraced by the father, who was lost, was found, and that is worthy of celebration. From rebellious to repentant to restored. See, I am lost because I seek my own desires, but I am found when I repent. The heart that seeks its own desire is the heart that has wandered from the Father. But the heart that repents is restored to the Father. And all of heaven celebrates. Because you see how God responds to repentance? With open arms and restored relationships. Some of you here today have never truly repented. You've never turned from your sin. Either you've wandered off and you're living in a foreign land, living it up, and you haven't reached the end of yourself yet, or you realize that you have reached the end of yourself and you're laying down with the pigs and are too prideful to acknowledge it. 
Either way, see how this ends up? Sin will lead you only one place, and that is ruin. Turn from your sin, allow the Holy Spirit to convict your heart, and come to the end of yourself and run back to God. He's calling you home. There are those of you who have repented from your sin. At one point in time, you have the restored relationship with Jesus Christ. You are a follower of Jesus Christ, but because you've gotten comfortable with sinful patterns, you've uh, wandered a little bit away. And you've left the home of your father. See how God responds to repentance. He responds by open arms inviting you back. Please come home. Now some of you are followers of Christ who imperfectly but regularly repent of your sins. And yet, when you see the parable of the younger son, the prodigal son, you uh, can't help but think about what it was like to live in the foreign land. Satan brings to mind all the immorality that you lived in before you came to know Jesus Christ, and it brings shame and condemnation, and I want you to see that that part is done. Jesus says that, uh, our uh, Psalms say that, He has separated as far as the east is from the west and removed your transgression from you. That when you repented and left the foreign land, you leave that behind and you are restored. So don't have shame that your testimony includes quite a lot of immorality, wrong choices. Celebrate that God has brought you back and restored you. Now, the man has two sons. We've seen the story of the younger, that he goes from rebellious to repentant and ultimately to restored. Now, the older is going to come home. He's going to see the banquet. He's going to see the celebration. Number two, the journey of the older son, responsible to resentful. Verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. That's a good place to be. The older son is responsible. He's where the younger son should have been. He's out in the field working responsibly, setting himself about the work of the father. And as he came, he drew near the house. He heard the music and dancing. And he he called one of the servants over. He's like, hey, this one on the calendar? What are we celebrating? Ask, what, what does this mean? Why is this happening? And the servant said, your brother has come and your father has filled the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. See, the older brother is out hard at work. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's the responsible one. While my younger brother is over here and over there, I'm stable and responsible and getting the work done. He kicked off to some foreign land and that meant more work for me, but I was willing to take it. Because if it needs to get done, I'm going to get it done. There may have been times of that grumbling. Where is he? All right. If it needs to get done, I'll just do it. He's the responsible one. 
celebration is clearly unplanned. What's going on? Your brother is back and the father has killed the fattened calf. Now, just for a moment, the fattened calf, that's like, that's like top of the uh, prime food chain here. This is, uh, you know, USDA prime filet mignon. This is the top. I've given him the best. Now we see the response, verse 28. But he was what? Angry. But he was angry. And he refused to go in. The older, responsible son is upset that we are celebrating the younger, rebellious son. Now, I don't know about your house. I'm thankful that with my three boys, there is never any sibling rivalry. They never compete with one another. They never argue. None of that. That's right. Also, I'm lying. Um, but there's a moment that like, you have kids, you're like, oh, yeah, that was bad. Uh, but, you know, I know in 15 minutes they're going to get over it and they're going to be brothers again. And when you read this, you can think, oh, you know what? Uh, there's just that immediate, like, reaction. Maybe the, there's just sibling rivalry. He doesn't like it. Uh, and they're going to be brothers again. But there is something much, much more serious happening under the surface here. And we're about to see it come out. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Now remember, the fattened calf is at the top of the food chain, young goat somewhere near the bottom. He's like, you gave this dude filet mignon, the rebellious son, you didn't even give me hamburger to do a cookout with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes you killed the fattened calf for him see the relationship that has degraded this isn't just sibling rivalry what does he call him my brother no this son of yours the only reason that he and I have any relationship at all is because he's your son. He is no longer even my brother. He's devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed the fattened calf for him. These words reveal so much about the heart of the older brother, the older son. He's angry because the older son the, older, uh, the younger son got the reward that the older son never received. In his eyes, the undeserving party got the, got, the undeserving brother got the party, while the deserving one serves without reward. As I first read this, I'm like, you know, he's got a point. But let me suggest to you that before you dig in and say, yeah, that's not fair. Anger at grace and mercy is probably not a good place to be. See, he believes he has a relationship with the Father because of his service. These words by the older son betray his true heart and they reveal the foundation of his relationship with the Father. You honor this immoral son of yours, no longer my brother, but don't honor me. I deserve this party. 
self-righteous, prideful, and completely unconcerned for the well-being of his brother. So let me ask you this. Is his desire any different than that of the younger brother? I don't think that it is. Only the path is different. I saw it. I wanted it. I deserved it. And, so, and I've earned it. His claim that I deserve it now is not so different than that of the younger son. See, it's not just the rebellious younger son who's lost. The resentful older son is just as lost. In your Bibles, this is probably called the parable of the prodigal son, and there's good reason for that, because we rejoice at how God welcomes back the sinner. But perhaps it would be better to call it the parable of the lost sons, because they are both lost. Sheep, coins, sons. If we were going to write a song about the older brother, it would be this, the ballad of the older brother. I made what I thought you wanted. I went where I thought you wanted. I did what I thought you wanted. And I was never found slacking. Hasn't that made me wanted in the arms of my father? See, it's the Pharisees who so hated the sinners that find themselves in the character of the older brother. Verse 31, Jesus says, or the father says, son, to the older son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to, be cel to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now this uh, phrase, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours, is, 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 remember, he's talking to, he's addressing in this moment the heart of the Pharisee. This is most likely a reference to the preferred place of Israel in the, in the kingdom of God at the time, in the people of God. They had been with God and grown up among the people of God and had heritage in the promises of God. And we're being offered the same grace as everyone else. It's really, truly incredible unless you find your identity in being something that no one else can be. In the Father's heart, the grace extended was a perfect extension of his compassion. And the celebration was the perfect response to the loss being found. And the older son, the Pharisees, were enraged by. If you're here this morning, and you are, let me humbly suggest to you that you're probably more like the older son than the younger son. We are largely a church that has made up of people who have grown up in church. We grew up working the fields of the Father's house. I want you to see clearly here 
the heart that Jesus is so patiently and lovingly revealing to us. When following the Lord becomes cultural rather than convictional, we can set ourselves about the business of the Father's house without ever actually knowing him. We see others do it. We were born in the fields, and so we just pick up a shovel. And we go to believe that we have relationship with the Father because we grew up near him. We grew up serving in his fields. But when our relationship with the Father is based on personal performance, blessings that flow to an undeserving party are enraging. And so too do undeserved trials when they flow to me. Bitterness grows when undeserved blessing goes to another and undeserved trial comes to you. When we reduce our relationship with the Father to something that can be earned, we cheapen it. We put a price tag on the priceless. We reduce God to a cosmic vending machine. Relationship with the Father cannot be earned. It can only be given, and Scripture tells us that it is compassionately given to the one who repents. Henry Nouwen, in the book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, said this, For the older brother, obedience and duty has become a burden, and service has become slavery, lost while still at home. And it is this lostness, characterized by judgment, condemnation, anger, resentment, bitterness, and jealousy that is so pernicious and damaging to the human heart. heart of the older brother is so insidious it cloaks itself in responsibility it covers itself with words like duty and obedience it lurks in the fields of service until the rot is so prevalent that it reveals itself in a display of self-glorifying anger disdain dripping off the tongue towards the lesser and the undeserving shows up in gossip and in favoritism. It shows up in lack of hospitality and it shows up in a division between respectable sins and contemptible sins. It shows up when the only people that are welcome at your table or to hang out with your kids are those who agree with you and don't make you uncomfortable. It shows up when we forget that every single one of us is a sinner deeply in need of a merciful Savior and that not one of us deserved anything of value from the Father. But God's grace, the compassionate, loving grace of the Father flowed to undeserving me. So how then does the older brother respond? doesn't say the story is incomplete that beautiful way that Jesus Christ tells this story because he's talking to the Pharisees and he leaves it open-ended 
Will he repent and come home? Join the Father in the house and in the celebration of the lost who was found? Will he reject the pleading and remain outside, cut off from the family? Will he, as an insider, due to his arrogance and resentfulness, be left as an outsider? Sometimes the older brother does get found. And when he does, the celebration in heaven is no less intense and uproarious than when the younger son is found. But sometimes the older brother does not get found. He remains lost. And I can't think of anything more heartbreaking. But having tasted the goodness of the father's house, he chooses to remain outside. I am still the younger son, pulled away by my own desires. And I am still the older son who looks at the Pharisees and says, you idiots, wait, no. It's just like them. But a desire to be more like the Father. Number three, the character of the Father, rejected but compassionate. I confess that in my early readings of this passage, I was really drawn into the compelling comparison of the two sons. Right? There was a man that had two sons. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. I want to know, what was the motivation of this one? And how am I like the younger son? And what's the motivation of the older son? And that's really fascinating. And that one's easy to see. This one's harder, so let's dive in there. And oh, like in the comparison between the two, all their motivations, all of that. But I have to confess that the longer I sat in it, the more compelling the heart of the father became. After all, it's God. In this parable that Jesus is telling, the younger son is those sinners who are drawn to Jesus, and the older son is the Pharisees so, who so hate the younger son, and, and yet the father represents the heart of God towards those who wander. Jesus starts the parable with the father. There was a man. The father is central to the parable. And the compassionate love of the father is evident throughout. Both of his boys have rejected him. And yet he offers restoration. He pleads with them to come home. The setting of the offer for both of them is outside the home. That when the younger son comes back, the father leaves the house to go grab the younger son and embrace him. And when the older son says, no, I'm not going in, the father leaves the house and pleads with the older son, come home. The father is running and pleading. His love for them is unchangeable and independent. It is so clear. That he does not love one more than the other. 
He meets them each where they are and communicates what they need to hear, meeting them in different places with different words, but equally. And for the older son, Arthur Freeman in the parable of the prodigal says this, the fact that the parable is not completed makes it certain that the father's love is not dependent upon an appropriate completion of the story. It's not that he loves the younger son because he came back and not the older son and only if he comes back. It's clear that he's illustrating that he loves them both regardless of what they choose to do. It's the love of the father that's the driving force in this parable. It's remarkable, it's noteworthy, it's compelling, and it's reassuring. And it's the love that God has for his children. The heart of God is to see that those who have wandered return to him. But we can get so caught up in what I'm doing in my own life that I miss what God is doing around me. We see clearly in the sons what this parable means for us. And it is really, really good news. Lost, found, celebrate. If you have been found by Jesus Christ, all of heaven celebrates. Amen. And it is good news. A restored relationship with a compassionate father through repentance. But what does this parable beckon from us? I would put it like this. If our efforts to become like Christ don't result in an increased burden for those far from Christ then we are becoming like Pharisees, not Christ. The heart of God is to see those who have wandered from him return to him. If, in response to sin and brokenness in the world, we retreat behind fences and congregate only with those who won't taint our ideologic purity, we do not have the heart of God. The heart of God is to see those who have wandered from him return to him. The Lord pursues those who wander, and all of heaven celebrates when they are found. And so too should we. And he has pursued us. John 1 and Philippians 2 say that the second person of the Trinity, God himself, who always was and always will be, entered into this broken world and put on flesh and bone. It is he who is telling the story, Jesus Christ. And it is he who embodies the compassionate love of the Father towards us. For this is how God loved the world. Have you ever wondered, does God love me? Do you want confidence that God has loved you and continues to love you? For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his only son. everyone who believes in him will not perish, will not be lost in a foreign land in ruin, but through repentance will have eternal life. Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 20, or Luke chapter 15. If we flip over to Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14, we see his institution of the symbol 
of his death, burial, and resurrection. We see the symbol of his pursuit of us. The reason that we can repent and have a restored relationship with the Father and the reason that we should live a life that beckons other people to do that is because of what Jesus Christ has done. It says in verse 14, chapter 22, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. But I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now we're told in other places in Scripture not to take this symbol in an unworthy manner. Do not approach the Lord's Supper, communion, with an unevaluated heart. If you are still the younger son, lost in a foreign land, living in your sin, and have yet not come to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, do not take communion. If you have come to him, you have trusted him in your, with your salvation as your Savior, but have wandered off to taste the fruits of the foreign land, do not take communion until you come back and repent and return to the compassionate arms of your loving Father. I'm going to take a minute. Reflect on the state of your heart. Where has the Holy Spirit brought conviction that that's not right? That's from my former life. I don't want that anymore. Leave it behind. Repent and turn. Come back to your Father. I'll give you just a minute to do that, and then we'll partake of the communion together.